Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of God together. <clears throat> Please take note of that, of that message. Uh, there is something we feel has been lacking, not lacking in our church, but something that we've kind of missed, and that's reaching out to our new believers that come to Christ. Many people pray a prayer of salvation at the end of our church services, and our desire now is to help them come to a place where they can grow in Christ. And uh, so we're excited about this new ministry. If you have a heart to mentor, if you have a heart to share your life with another believer, especially a new believer, and share out of your experience how they can grow in God, this is a class for you. So please, next Sunday that'll be available. Uh, there's information at the, at the visitor center afterwards. I'm Pastor Bob. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors on staff. It's great to be with you this morning. We have been going through the book of Ephesians. And one of the common themes that we've seen so far that, that Pastor Pierre brought up when he spoke was that that theme is who we are in Christ. This phrase or its equivalent is found, as he shared with us, 34 to 35 times in the book of Ephesians. And the, and the church at Ephesus was a relatively new church. They were a group of new believers. And so they were just discovering what it meant to be in Christ uh, spiritually. In Christ, they were incredibly rich. Problem was that they didn't realize how rich they really were, and that's true many times of the church itself. And so he opens up his message in chapter 1, as, as Pastor Pierre brought us through that, and he explains to them the amazing heavenly bank account that we have in Jesus Christ. And that includes adoption as children, acceptance, redemption, Forgiveness, wisdom, inheritance, the seal of the Holy Spirit, life, grace. Indeed, they were a church like us that has been truly blessed with every spiritual blessing. It was so important for them to realize that, that he shared a, a powerful prayer that he had put together and had been praying for the church and continued to pray for this new church. And Pastor James led us through that during his time of sharing and in that, church, in that prayer, he is praying for their eyes to be opened, that they would come to see the spiritual realities that they, they now possess. And not only, not only that, but the power that is behind them, because we live in those realities by the power of Jesus Christ. And then he moves from there to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, he begins to introduce our position in Christ. And Pastor Nathan uh, shared with us that portion of Scripture that spoke clearly about that. And he does so by contrasting what we were by nature in our old life to what we now have become and what we are becoming by grace in our new life. We were once dead in our transgressions and sins. Now we are alive in Jesus Christ by grace. In our old life, we were objects of God's wrath. But now we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What an amazing transition from the old to the new. But that is where God has us. And so as we move forward, the next thing that he's going to introduce the church to is, is really exciting. All those things that he's already told them about are, are, are precious and powerful. But now he's going to be speaking about a new building. A new building, not made with human hands, not created with human materials, but with people. And this is going to get to be really exciting, church. Once we begin to glimpse and catch a picture of, of what we are as God's people, the church, it gets really exciting. 
But for this new, new uh, building to be constructed, there needed to be some other new things that were completed first. And he begins to lead them through this portion of the scripture. And he begins with the, with the establishment of a new covenant. And in doing so, he calls the church at Ephesus to remember. And we pick that up in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and he says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember, remember that at that time, and that's a key phrase to remember, at that time, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And so, them like us, we were foreigners. We were separated, we were excluded, we were foreigners without hope and without God. At that time, at that time, that was our position before God. Not a very pleasant place to be. And in Paul's day, this was a place, this was a point of great contention and division in the church. Because the church at that moment consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews were people who had the book of the law. They were the people of the book. They were people who lived in the old covenant. The old covenant had been given to them with its laws and its regulations and its sacrifices and its festivals. And at that point, they were the people of God. They were the people that God lived his, lived his, his, his life through, that he demonstrated himself through to the world. But, that had, but for the new building to come into existence, that had to change. And so God brings a new covenant, and he introduces them to them in verse 13. He says, that was what you were before. At that time, this is who you were. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so in the old covenant, they were restricted to a way of living. It was the laws, it was the sacrifices that were made that they found their salvation in. That was never God's intention. Exclusion from that group was never God's point place, point in, 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 his, in, in what he had designed for his people. From the very beginning, what he had was this new building that we're going to be looking at. So in this new phrase, and out of this new covenant, he moves next to creating a, a new people. And we find that in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, the two groups being the Jews and the Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. And so does how, how does God move in this new realm? How does he create this new people? How did Jesus bring peace and make the two groups one? Well, the first thing he does is he eliminates the thing that was creating the division in the first place, and that was the old, the old covenant with its laws and with its regulations. He never intended for that to be the place of salvation. He, what he intended for the, for the old covenant to be was a place that was a, that was a model 
that was a symbol of what was to come. It was meant to be a demonstration of what, in a, in a practical way, what the new was going to be all about. He always had in mind a new covenant, which would be found in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. So the first thing he does is he, he, he abolishes the barrier, the dividing wall. And what was that dividing wall? It was the law. As I said, shared earlier, the, the Jews were the people of the book. They had the law. We did not. Gentiles. The law was salvation. They had that. The, Jew, the, the Gentiles did not have that. But there was two problems with the law. The first one was this. The Jewish people could not keep the law any more than the Gentiles could. They had the law. They knew what it was. They knew what it was about. But they could no longer keep it than we could. And the second point is this, is that the law was never intended to provide salvation. What was the law intended for? Why did, he, why did he bring this old covenant? Why did he start that? Why did he originate that with his people in the Old Testament? What was his purpose? Well, throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is progressively wanting to reveal himself to the world. And so he designed a people would be that place where he could demonstrate himself through. And the, is, and, the, and the Hebrew nation was meant to be that model that people could see. But what was the purpose? Well, we have to go to other scriptures that will help us recognize that. And let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It says this, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protect, protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So again, the Old Testament model, the law and the, and the sacrifices, they were meant to demonstrate the reality of something that was, was to come. The, the, the forgiveness of sins through animal sacrifices was, was never met to give us true forgiveness. It was, they, they were meant to point the way to Jesus Christ, to the Messiah that was to come in the new covenant that he was going to bring. Another way that we can look at the law is this. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, it says this. It was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that covenant is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. The same thing would be true about uh, lying, stealing, it was the law that introduced us to our sin. It was the law that made it clear that we were guilty. And again, in Romans chapter 3, he says this to the church at Rome. Obviously, the law applies to those who, to whom it was given for its purpose. Its purpose is to keep the people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Church, the Ten Commandments are God's holy standards of how we should live with both him and with people. They are perfect in what they are. They were God's commands. They still are true today in our lives. But the law is limited in what it can do. It cannot forgive. It cannot justify. 
It can only show us that we're guilty, and when we are, it can, can say you are, you are condemned. The law was weak, and so Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he did so, becoming the sacrifice for our sins. The law was never intended to be our salvation. The purpose was to point us to grace, grace to forgive us from, from sin when we broke it, and grace to empower us to live it out. Both the Jews and Gentiles are guilty of breaking God's laws, and we are both made right through, uh, with God through the atoning death of Jesus Christ for our sins. His grace is received by faith, which he so accurately tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by this faith into this grace in which we now stand. This grace in which we now stand. And that word stand means a permanent fixture. It isn't a temporary situation like the Old Testament prophets or the Old Testament covenant was. It's, it's, it's the permanent fixture that we stand in. And both Jews and Gentiles now stand on grace by faith in works, not by works. So he also eliminated the Old Testament, the Old Testament with its laws and its sacrifices, the Old Testament that uh, the Jews had erroneously used to be their salvation. We are different. We are better people than the Gentiles because we have the law. We, we have the law. And they thought because they had the law that they lived it. But the next thing he does is he creates a whole new humanity. And we pick this up in verse 15 and 16. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two that's making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Both of them being Jews and Gentiles, but which he put to death their hostility. And so in the time of, of Paul, when this was such a major issue in the church... He is introducing the new covenant, and in this new covenant, both parties must stand before God, must stand before Jesus Christ. One new kind out of two, usually one plus one equals two. In the case, in this case, God takes two and he makes it one. And he creates out of nothing, and that's what this verse means, out of nothing, something brand new. A new kind, a brand new kind. We're not a replacement, church. The new, the new covenant is not a replacement. It's where God was taking the old covenant. He meant for it to be a, a new covenant. And he met the people of Israel to realize that what they had was just, was just a model. It was just a picture of what was to come. And so when the Messiah truly did come, Jesus Christ, come on the scene, they would readily recognize him and say, yes, that's him. And as, the, as, as John the Baptist so accurately spoke to them, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they could step out of the old into the new. They could step away from animal sacrifices and embrace the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his intention for the people of Israel. But not just for them, because in the, in the covenant that God made with Abraham, there was, a, there was a statement that's important for the Gentiles too. He said that in your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. All the nations, not just the Jewish people, but everyone would be included. 
We are one in our guilt, both Gentiles and Jews, and we are one in our justification. Around the cross is level ground, and we all stand equal together, both in our need for the Savior and for our ability to step into that relationship with him. No one is superior, and no one is inferior. In fact, in his letter to the Galatians, he puts it this way. Galatians chapter 3 says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to, G to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is our new position, church. I know that we are not affected by this, this, uh, this theological problem that they had in the early church, but that was their problem. And so as a new huma humanity living in this new covenant, what comes out of that? Well, he provides a new access. Provides a new access. And let's pick that up in verse 17. It says, he came and preached peace to you who were far away, which were the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, which were the Jews. And get this, verse 18, through him, for through him we both, both Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one spirit. If you remember from the Old Testament, the access to the, to the Father was limited. The access to the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, was limited. It was the temple. And every Jew, good Jew, had to bring sacrifices to the temple and, and offer those for their sin and for their sins. But only one priest got to step into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God, and that was one time a year. That was the access to God. As close as you got was being able to share your sacrifice, your lamb, your goat, your pigeons. That was as close as it got. But listen to this. That word access, with him we both have access. In the Greek language it means an un unhindered approach. An unhindered approach. In other words, there is no barriers any longer stepping into the presence of God. And that word have, it's a verb and it's in the present tense and that defines this as the believer's continuous possession. Continuous possession. It's a possession that belongs to us. Not because we earned it, not because we bought it, but because Christ Jesus has given it to us as part of the new covenant. And so, when you put those two together, we have this definition. As a continuous, position, as a continuous possession, we have un unhindered access to the Father. We didn't have to go through, blood and, through the blood of goats and lambs. We didn't have to sit outside in the inner court waiting for the priest to go in and represent us to, to, to God. We represent ourselves to God. That's the new access. The new access is unhindered. It is continually our possession. Our, it belongs to us. So whether you're working around the house, whether you're driving your car, you have access to the Father. When you're at work, you have access to the Father. 
3 o'clock in the morning, you have access to the Father. When you're going through difficulties, you have access to the Father. When you have a praise report of something that happened in your life because of the grace of God, we have access to the Father. There is no hindrances. We can go anytime, any place. It doesn't matter how we're feeling. It doesn't matter if we failed. Continual access to the Father. In fact, the word really means he is waiting there for us. He is always waiting to meet with us, church. I hope you can catch a glimpse of that. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, and we have unhindered access to talk with him. When we read the Bible, unhindered access. Ever read the Bible and say, man, I don't understand this passage. Okay, Father, unhindered access. Could you please explain this one to me? Church, what a gift. What a gift. So as God's people, we have a new covenant. We have been made into a new humanity, a new people group called the church. And it includes everyone. Nobody is limited. And now we have a new access by which we can talk. We can step into the presence of our Father anytime, anywhere, any place. And so out of that, he lays a new foundation. We pick that up in verse 19 and 20. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. That's good news to us Gentiles, isn't it? But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Remember that phrase at that time? But now, those two phrases. At that time, we were separated, but now we are brought near. At that time, we were excluded, but now we are included. In fact, we were made fellow citizens. At that time, we were foreigners, but now we are family. At that time, we were without hope and God, but now we have both. And church, this is our new position. This is our new position as believers. Paul was desperately trying to get this across to the Ephesians who were dealing with the Judaizers who said you had to become Jews before you become Christians or believers. <coughs> he desperately wanted them to understand that this is the position that we now stand in. And it's a powerful, powerful position. And so the foundation is built upon the prophets, apostles and prophets, in Jesus as the chief cornerstone. What does he mean by this? Well, the apostles we know about. The prophets that he's speaking of are the New Testament prophets, and we're going to see that come up again in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Ephesians. That phrase together, apostles and prophets, they become part of the foundation. And why are they a part of the foundation? Because it was through the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament, this new group of, of, of leaders, that he taught the mysteries of Christ to the church. It was through them that he brought revelation to them about the Old Testament scriptures and how Jesus could be found in the, in the Old Testament. And that the Old Covenant was meant to become a new covenant, that it was designed to move them in that direction. These are the things that they taught. And we see that more clearly in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul says this to the, to the, to the, to the Ephesians. He says, he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me, that is, the mysteries made known to me by the revelation 
And this is what we're talking about. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations. In other words, the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied these things, but they didn't understand them. They talked about the Messiah coming in the new covenant and what that was going to be about, but they didn't understand it. It was the New Testament prophets and the, and the apostles that taught this to the church. And it has been revealed by the Spirit, of, Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And so they were the ones that brought the new in. They were the ones who trained. And so because of that, they became part of the foundation. They were part of the beginning stones. But the chief cornerstone is the real foundation. And the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And they understand building back in those days, and a cornerstone had two purposes. One, it, it carried the weight of the building, and it needed to be able to, do, be able to do that. I had the privilege of going to Israel and seeing the, the foundations of the Temple Mount, and they've got some incredible stones in this place. Unbelievable. There was no mortar between the stones. They were just fitted together. And they are the foundation. And so it had to be strong enough to carry whatever size the building was going to be. But also, it, it brought the building into alignment so that it was built correctly and properly. And church, not only these two ministries, but every ministry in the church, must stand upon and align ourselves with the chief cornerstone. We cannot build the church unless we're in alignment with Jesus Christ. His word and his principles. And so from this new foundation, he constructs a new temple. And both the Jews and the Gentiles understood what temples were about. To the, to, the, to, the, to the Jew or to the Gentile, the temple was a place of deities. And they had hundreds of gods in the Roman world, in the Greek world. And so, but, they, but they had temples to every one of these gods. They understood it was a place for deities. But to the Jew... The temple in Jerusalem was the presence of God. That was where his presence was, was, was uh, founded and stayed. But Jesus is about to create something new, and this is where it gets to be really exciting. In Ephesians chapter 2, we, uh, in verse 21 and 22, we pick it up again. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In him, the whole building is joined together. It's built together into an intimate union. And church, again, I, I pray that we just get a glimpse of this, who we are as a church. We are living stones being joined together and fitted together. Remember, this building is not built with human materials. It's built with us. And we need to see ourselves as living stones a part of that building. Maybe you've never thought yourself as a brick. Well, we got a max brick over here, and we got a Auburn Dam brick. Sorry, guys, I just lost my train of thought. We got a Steve and Connie brick. We got a Rick and Ann brick back there, Roger brick, and a Sue brick. Uh, we've got more bricks, guys. We've got a Joshua brick here in the front, and we got a whole family of bricks, the Bice family. Every one of them were believers, and they're all bricks. Get that Ellie, you're a brick. From the youngest to the oldest. These bricks come in different sizes and different ages, different places in relationship with God. 
different places in their experience with God, but we were all living bricks because the Spirit of God now lives inside of us. It doesn't just dwell in a building made by hands. It dwells in a new temple, and that's us. Not only that, but we grow together as, as this building. That, will, that word built means to grow spiritually together. And the, and the Bible word for, for the Greek word for fellowship is quantania. And it actually, it means the word fellowship, but it also means life shared together. We were designed to grow together, church, and many times people don't grow because they're not connected. We will not grow by ourselves. You will not grow coming to church and listening to a message and then going home. We are designed to be connected with God's people. That's how the building grows. And that's how we grow as believers. We were meant to share our lives together so that we're sharing our, our struggles and our victories. We're walking through things together. We're praying for each other. We're becoming Jesus Christ and his ministry to one another through each other. Church, we have got to catch this. The life of Christ flows between us. That's God's intention. To become, it means it's happening, but only as we do it together. A dwelling that he speaks about implies the idea of permanency in which God lives by his spirit. Therefore, the church is this, my friends, the church, the people of God being fitted together and growing together in Christ to become a permanent residency of his presence. Think about it. It is so powerful that Jesus, when he was describing the church to his disciples, he said, where two or three come together, I am there in the midst. And we got this picture of, of God's people coming together, and as they do, the spirit, the spirit of Christ is flowing between them and in the midst of us, and Jesus is present right there with us. That is so powerful. And erroneously, people have used that phrase where two or three come together to say that, well, I don't really have to go to church. I can just together, get together with one other believer and we've got church. Well, that's technically true, but it is not what Jesus meant. If you go back to that passage and see its context, he was talking about dealing with broken relationships and then about prayer. And so when we seek to, to heal broken relationships and and get reconciled back together with each other, Jesus is saying, I'm right there in the midst. When you be, begin to obey my word, I am right there in the midst. And when we pray together, I am right there in the midst. And, and, and it could be just two or three, but hopefully it's more. Man, if, he could, if, he's that, if it's that powerful with two or three, imagine what it's like with 20, and with 30, and with 50, and 100, 200. This is the church. It is so powerful that I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, and, and read this verse again. And God placed all things under his feet, that is Jesus Christ, for him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, and get this, which is his body, the fullness of him. Do you understand, church, how important it is for us to come together? Because when we come together, and the more we come together, intentionally to be God's people, we are the fullness of him. 
The fullness of Jesus Christ, his power, his healing, his ministry, his life, his truth, his grace, all that he is, is embodied in his body. It won't happen until we do come together. It doesn't happen if we don't come together. We must come together. And not just come together physically, church, but come with an intentionality in our spirits that says, you know what? I can't wait to get to church. We had COVID, my wife and I, for two weeks, and we were at a church for two Sundays. I was getting, I was getting withdrawals, church withdrawals, guys. I love this body. We have great stones in this body. We have so many wonderful bricks that are here. I love connecting with this group of people. Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, celebrate recovery. Sunday morning is my favorite times of the week. And we need to come together with an intention, with intentionality to get connected. Let's be the church. Let's get to know each other. I know it's impossible to have an intimate relationship with everybody in our church right now. But let's spend time getting to know people as deeply as, as we can. There is such richness in each person in this church. Nobody should sit, sit back and say, well, I'm not that important. Yes, you are. Imagine if that wall, we knocked out 100 bricks out of that wall. What, what would that wall look like? Its integrity would be weakened for sure. But it would not be what it was intended for. It wouldn't protect us from the outside elements. It wouldn't be there to be a building to come to. With a church, it is much, much more for us in that area. Let's be the church. Let's come with a, with a picture in mind that, man, God wants to use me this Sunday or this Wednesday night or, or whatever meeting you might be gathered in, in small groups that meet twice a month during the week, I mean during the month. Any kind of gathering, men's fellowship, women's fellowship, working with the youth, caring for the children. You know, we can have fellowship as we minister. We can grow together as we minister together. We can do both. That's what it was intended to be. But we have to be intentional about it. We don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, well, it's Sunday morning. I guess I better go to church because that's what I do. No, I get to go to church, man. I've been waiting six days for this to come around. Here it is. I can't wait to get there and, and connect with God's people. I want to grow together with them. When I, when I meet them, I want, my first thought is, how can I be Jesus to them? What can I do to encourage them? What can I do to, to build them up? How can I be a part of their life together? What can I pray for with them? I want to ask a bunch of questions just to hear them talk and share what's going on with their lives. What's God been doing in your life? What are some of the challenges you're facing right now? What can I do to encourage you? Out of our lives, God has given us some incredible experiences, church. We don't realize how incredible they are because they've been God's work in our lives. But we were created for good works. So in closing, three takeaways. First one is this. Remember the past, but live in the present. Paul got the Ephesians to, to remember the past. And remembering the past is, it can be important because what it does for us is it reminds us of where we came from. And remembering the past should do two things for us. First of all, it should keep us humble because this is what I used to be. But it also should produce a heart of gratitude because look what Jesus has done, man. This is what I used to be, and this is where I am now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
So let's remember the past. Don't live there, but let's remember it. And let's live in the present. The enemy will do all he can to try to get us to live in the past. He will try to get us to think about my past sin, my past failures, my past choices, what other people have done to me. And he'll get us to try to think and live in the past. And all that does is produce regret, shame, and it kills our faith. Let's remember the past, but in the light of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And let's live in the present. I know that sometimes we can have challenges with that because some of the wounds of the past have been deep and they've left great damage in our lives. And if that's the case, uh, this is not an advertisement, by the way, but let me recommend Celebrate Recovery to you because it's a great ministry. It's a place where you can get healed. You can walk through the issues. We have a thing called a step study. It's six and a half months. And let me tell you that those that, that step into it and really walk through the principles, we have seen miraculous stuff happen in their lives. Because it's the principles of God's word being lived out each week with a group of people that you can walk through together with. And it's a safe place, church. One of our, one of our chief rules is that accountability. I mean, not accountability, but uh, um, what's that? Confidentiality, thank you. So uh, what's shared in the group stays in the group. And you get to meet with a group of people that understand what you're going through because they have gone through the same things. Maybe not the same experiences, but similar things. And we walk to it, through it together. Each, each, each week is a different lesson. You know, I'm going to do a bold thing. I'm going to ask our staff to stand up, our Celebrate Recovery staff. Those of you that are on our staff, let's stand up, folks. Yeah. Stay standing. Listen, if you have an issue in your life that you are stuck in and you can't get past, you don't have to live there. Come and talk to one of these people afterwards, and they'll share with you about what takes place. They have walked through the step studies themselves. They know what the healing process is about. Don't carry something that God never intended for you to hold on to. He wants to release and heal and restore. Okay, friends, thank you. They're a great group. So, let's live in the present. And if we can't get to the present, let's find a ministry that can help us. Second point, second can take away, don't raise barriers that Jesus died to erase. Listen, this, this thing, the body of Christ, the church, is too valuable. Our relationships are too important to allow anything to be a wedge between us. Jesus brought the new covenant so that he could erase the barriers, whatever they might be. Don't let any a barrier arise that would keep us from knowing each other deeper. And the last word is be the church. Get a hold of this, this glorious thing that God has brought us into and invited us into, the body of Christ, the church of God. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's be Jesus and allow him to flow through us with his grace and his love and his joy to each other. Let's build each other up and let's look out for new people. Let's be the church that reaches out to our communities and brings the gospel that they so desperately need. Listen, we have tremendous division in our country. There's a lot of different sources to it. 
But there's only one way to peace, true peace, and that's to meet the Prince of Peace. We will never deal with the wars going on around us until we deal with the war that's right here inside of us. It's been created by sin, and that's why we need the Savior. He is the one who will give us that peace. But he will also teach us how to live rightly with each other and deal with the issues at hand. And really, church, the, the things that divide us, they are, they, are, they are things that are based in pride and anger and judgment. And those things can only be dealt with by the cross of Christ. We have the solution. Let's be the message of Christ to our world. And let's be the church. Let's recognize how valuable we really are because of who Jesus is in us. And let's connect with God's people. And let's be a united, united, united group that really demonstrates his love and his grace to the community and world around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your vision for us. It was always there, Lord. You created this world and you created us humans so that we could live in a, in a fellowship with you that would bring the life of God to each other. And because of sin, that was, that was broken, but it was not destroyed. Your plan was, was, was thwarted, but it wasn't stopped. And you brought it into existence and you took great pains to... to bring that into reality throughout the years and now we stand as the church of Jesus Christ with a new covenant as a new people having a new access a new foundation that's been laid on the truth of God's word and now we are a new building a building that when we come together and when we are separate we house the spirit of God Help us live in that reality, Lord Jesus, so that we can be all everything you've called us to be. And we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, we're, we've been somewhat conditioned about how to close off our church services. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, let, be in Christ. That's the theme of this book. Live in Jesus. Be in Jesus and therefore have a Jesus-filled week. God bless you.